0: Shalom and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm Miriam Anzevin, and I'm joined on this episode by my co-host, Dan Seligson. Hi, Dan, my friend. Hello,
1: Miriam. We often talk about life cycles and Jewish rituals, and today we're talking about the end of that cycle, death, and how our tradition cares for the deceased. Chances are, if you're an adult, you've probably experienced the death of someone close to you, But there's something distinctive about how Judaism sees death in the afterlife, and by the way, we've got a podcast on that as well, and that's why I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. True story about Miriam, I only knew you for a few days before it came up in conversation, and we have many unusual conversations, that when you were a teenager, you took part in helping to ritually prepare a body for burial according to Jewish tradition— Obviously, this was a transformative moment in your life, and it is something that has completely and totally intrigued me ever since.
0: Yes, Dan, that is 100% true. It was an absolutely defining Jewish moment in my life when I was lucky enough to participate in a very special mitzvah or commandment. Many people out there might be familiar with sitting Shiva or reciting Kaddish, and you can even encounter these ideas in pop culture. But Jewish rituals and customs specifically for preparing the dead for burial are less well-known, but no less profound or meaningful. Today, we're going to talk about one of those most important and holy series of rituals in the Jewish tradition, the sacred work of the Hevra Kedisha, or holy society. Judaism teaches that between the time of death and the time of burial, a person who has died, referred to as the meit or meitah, should be treated with the utmost care and respect. They are guarded over. They are never left alone. They are ritually washed in the process called tahara. They're dressed in a special garment and they are placed in a plain pine casket called the aron. Caring for the needs of the dead are considered chesed shel emet, acts of true loving kindness because they can never be repaid. Today, we are really lucky to have as our guests two individuals who are doing this incredible work. James Cohen serves as the co-president of the Community Chaver Kedisha of Greater Boston and is deeply involved in the community, having previously worked at Keshet and going forward at Jewish Family and Children's Services. Emily Fishman, who goes by M Fish, has been a member of the Community Chaver Kadisha for about five years. With James, they co-led the Hevras Trans-Tahara Project, and they have been teaching and consulting with Hevras in other metro areas for the past year and a half. James and M. Fish, thank you so much for joining us today on the Vibe of the Tribe podcast.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: It's a pleasure to be here. How did you first get involved in this mitzvah and how did you first get involved with the community Chaver Kadisha? James, let's hear from you first.
2: Sure. I've always been very focused on making sure that all parts of our Jewish community, that anyone who wants to has access to all has access to the Jewish community to participate in whatever ways feel meaningful to them. And to me, that means not just the fun parts, not just making commentation on forum. It means which is very important, but it also means making sure that the infrastructure of Jewish community is open and available to everyone. So someone came to my synagogue and they were talking about Hevra Kadisha work and that they needed volunteers. And I thought that sounds like a really meaningful way that I could get involved in making sure that these things are available to us the community havrakadisha of greater boston is a unique havrakadisha in that we're open to everyone there are no religious requirements there are there are all jews who self declare who uh, want to participate can participate and that just is very different than many other places and that felt like a good way that i could help support the infrastructure of boston's jewish community
3: Amfish, how about you? I came to it more directly to Tahara rather than through pluralism. I grew up in a household where my mother had already lost both of her parents and a brother before I was born. And I like to say that I was brought up in a very death-positive household. We talked about death. We talked about those relatives who had died. They were live sort of characters in In my upbringing, and I wasn't uncomfortable with death in the same way that other people are. I didn't have a taboo around talking about it. Obviously, it's still very sad. It's not scary, but it's something I was always comfortable talking about. And when I learned about Tahara in a sort of Jewish life cycles class, it spoke very deeply to me the desire to take care of our own and to make sure that people were not just sort of shunted off to the professionals for this very last ritual of their lives. And so when I had the chance to get involved in the community Kedisha, I leapt at it.
1: James, as we mentioned earlier, there are many steps in the ritual process of the work of Hevra Kadisha. Can you kind of walk us through those steps and explain some of the vocabulary, the symbolism, the meaning behind those steps?
2: Sure, I'm happy to do so. So in the Tahara room, we always work in teams. And the first thing that we do is a, is a preliminary prayer where we ask forgiveness for any indignities that we may unintentionally cause. And then we ask God to protect us as we're doing some dangerous work. We then inspect the body of the mate or Meta, and remove any kind of medical devices that might be there because we want the body from dust to dust to fully decompose and anything that we can remove safely we will. We then do what's called the rechitza, which is the ritual washing. And we remove uh, any dirt, any uh, sticky from the, the electrodes if those are left from the hospital stay. I know the women remove nail polish and other things if, uh, if they find that. And that's the cleansing, and it's accompanied by, by various prayers. After that, we do the actual tahara. The whole process is called tahara, but the tahara is actually one specific moment where where we use water to purify the body, and it is a constant stream of water. We ritually purify the body. Following that, of course, we have to dry the mate or meta. And then we dress them in their in, in their clothes in which they'll be buried. There's halbasha and halana are the two processes. And this is we're actually dressing the person in the garments. Of the Kohen Gadol, and they are dressed to be the high priest. In that moment, each of us is the, the, the most holy that we can be, the most pure that we can be. And there are several garments that are put on in a specific order, accompanied by specific prayers. There are knots that are tied to spell out certain words, and then we transfer the mate meit or metah into the Aron, where they will, in which they'll be buried
1: question for you M fish the more that I learned about Jewish burial rituals and I did some research over the past week the the more I came to appreciate the incredible dignity and care that are just so inherent in this process and what that actually means to families who are mourning their loss to know that that this is happening what are some of the misconceptions that you might have had going into this or uh, what have you heard from others unfamiliar with the Jewish ritual of caring for the dead that that seemed distinctive.
3: It's a great question. I think the biggest thing is not a misconception, but is just a lack of having ever heard of this or having any knowledge about which to have a misconception. And those who have heard of it often think that it's just for the orthodox or for the very observant, which as James said, we're a pluralistic chlever Kadisha. And even in other cities where the Chlever Kadisha is run by the Orthodox community. Tahara is available to all Jews who whose families request it so that's That's another misconception that some people have. Specifically, I've heard things like people think that they go into the coffin naked, which is not true, or they think that they will be naked through the whole process of Tahara, which is also not true. We keep the person covered with a sheet and a specific covering for their face so that they're never fully exposed to preserve their dignity. People worry that. The person is going to be just alone in an empty coffin, and that's also not true. We put hay around them so that the body doesn't slip and slide around. And my own misconception going into this was I'm not a terribly theological person. I'm not sure that I have, like, really specific thoughts about the afterlife. And I thought that would be sort of an impediment to my ability to be fully present during Tahara. And I have to say... It's much more of a human process than a theological one. It's about honoring this vessel and helping it wrap up its business here on earth, much more so than sort of any appeals to God or the afterlife.
2: I would add on to that. I think that is such a beautiful way to describe it, M.Fish. I, I would add on to it that it is the people in the Tahara room, it is the most beautiful moment of working together in community of which I've ever been a part. These four or five people who come together from all walks of life with so much care and respect and dignity is that word that keeps coming up, that just the loving kindness that is shown to this person who has lived their life. And I always think when I do a Tahara with four or five guys, And I think that you hear so much about toxic masculinity, and this is like the exact opposite. You have never seen, I had never seen in my life, such careful, loving kindness, as you see in the Tahara Room, of people who are there just to show respect to someone they've never met.
0: It is a privilege To be able to be part of this ritual for someone, it is considered to be one of the most profound mitzvot that someone in the Jewish community can do. Just as you said, James, I have only done this mitzvah once in my life, a very long time ago, so my experience is very limited. How do you both get in the right mental and spiritual state? to perform this mitzvah on an ongoing basis, and how do you feel it's impacted you personally? James, please, let's start with you.
2: Sure, so I always read the obituary. I know Mfish does this too. There are are some people who don't, but I wanna know as much as I can about the person. Um, Hopefully they lived a long life, although that's not always the case. Hopefully they died peacefully, although that's not always the case. And I want to be able to show up as a whole person and recognizing that they are a whole person as well and so the more i can know the better it's not always possible but when we are when we arrive at the funeral home we take a few minutes to make that transition from our workaday lives and come together to to become a team usually just checking in with each other and talking about the mate if we know any information making sure everyone's ready and then the, we are privileged to work uh, at Bresniak Funeral Home in West Newton. And the physical setup is that we walk downstairs to get to the Tahara room. And I always feel like walking down those steps allows me to make the physical change to be emotionally present. It is being part of a team is definitely allows that makes that transition so much easier for me
0: when you mentioned the going down the steps i immediately thought of the parallel of, of mikvah in a way which is a very interesting way to kind of envision this and, and for our listeners when you use a mikvah as well there are a set of steps you go down to ritually immerse so it's a very interesting parallel uh m fish how about you how has it impacted you personally and how do you get in the right space to do this work
3: just to go back to the mikveh for a moment, at Brezniak, the funeral home that our chevra works out of, we pour water over the met or meta, the dead person, in order to do the part of the ritual that's actually the tahara proper. But in other places, they actually have a mikveh in the tahara room where they immerse the body. Our pouring is sort of a imitation of a mikveh. So it's a very apt... Connection that you made there. As James said, I'm also someone who likes to read the obituary. I like it particularly because it gives me a sense potentially of what this body has done during its life. I love when there are details in it. She loved hiking with her dog, and when I'm washing her feet, I imagine these moments that she was out in the woods with her dog, or if it said she loved knitting hats for her grandkids, and I can picture that while I'm washing her hands. Of course, a lot of our, a lot of the people that I'm dealing with are cisgender women who are matriarchs of large families and who gave birth to one or more children, and I can picture that as I'm handling different parts of their bodies and, and their breastfeeding and all of those things that went on in their lives. So for me, and the funny part of reading an obituary is that you have a lot of specific information. And then there's so much, of course, that no matter how long the obituary is, you would never know. So there's there's always something about the body that makes me wonder more. Either the mate has two different color eyes, like I wonder what that was like for them. Or they have a scar from a surgery and I wonder what part of their life that happened during and how good was their pain control and was that traumatic for them. So it's this funny gray area between knowing a lot and also realizing that we know practically nothing. Um, of what this person did during their life. There are people, I'm not one of them because I wear leg braces so I can only wear particular shoes, but there are a lot of women who have particular shoes that they wear only in the Tahara room because there's a lot of water sloshing all over the place. So either it's like old sneakers that they don't use for anything anymore or they wear rain boots. One of my favorite people to be on a team with has little like frog rain boots that I just picture all of these bubbies being very entertained by. And several of the folks who were nurses during their professional lives or who are nurses during their professional lives were scrubs, which makes a lot of sense. Myself, I put on a bandana because I'm an extremely sweaty person. And otherwise, the like sweat is dripping into my eyes. It's a very physical job. So you do have to prepare for sort of the sweaty, watery, lifting and moving aspects of it also.
2: There's one other thing I would add, and and Mfish, as always, your descriptions just bring up so much.
3: I actually
0: got very emotional (laughs) right then.
2: Always. At least once during a Tahara, I think forward to my own Tahara and I look around the room at the loving care that's going on and I pray that I have a team that is so caring to take care of me in the same way. And it's one of the reasons that I'm so grateful that we have this community Hebra Kadisha the, Hebr- the community Hebra Kadisha exists so that all Jews can participate in Tahara. And some people might not like me saying this, but I don't want people taking care of me in death who wouldn't accept me in life.
1: Emphish, what you said was so incredibly moving. And I think about what a person does to prepare themselves to do this kind of work, especially for the first time. It seems like it has two parts. One, that you can't learn. What you just explained was something that I, that's not something that I could see myself being trained to do. That's something that is natural to you as an empathetic person who feel, who wants to feel this connection to the person who, who they're helping and you're helping them. These two parts, respect for the deceased person, and respect for the mourners. Is there a way to be trained for both aspects of the job?
3: We don't typically or traditionally have any contact with the family or even the congregation that the person is part of. We all sign a tahara certificate at the end and we sign it with our sort of mildly illegible signature that you use to sign anything else that you're not sure you want identified. I do think when I'm in the Tahara room about who will be accompanying this person tomorrow morning, we do the Tahara the evening before the funeral. So whether that's you know, very close to when the person died or delayed for any number of reasons, and of course that all that comes from the obituary and also just from my imagination and sometimes we get information from the funeral home. I once participated in a Tahara where the funeral home told us there is no family. there are no closest friends. there might be a minion at the funeral tomorrow that the rabbi brings with her. That very much felt like we were the mourners for this person. I don't think that there's training that you can do for any aspect of that, for either your emotions about what the family is going through or connecting with the dead themselves. But it does feel like we're doing an important job for both the dead and for the family. We're doing this sort of very physical ritual so that they can have their more emotional ritual the next day.
0: So I want to kind of talk right now about inclusion in Tahara. And both of you have worked on the Trans Tahara Project, which is inclusivity for trans and non-binary Jews. M. Fish, you wrote about the importance of this in a really moving article, which I will link to in the podcast description. I really encourage everybody who's listening to read that. I'd like to give a brief quote from it right now for our listeners you say, the Tahara room is a place of ultimate body positivity. There is no judgment about body size or shape, medical conditions and devices, the state of the skin or hair or lack thereof. Our task is fundamentally and crucially non judgmental in nature. No physical condition or manifestation or identity is cause for discomfort in the face of death. That's a really amazing affirmation of acceptance that we are all made Elohim, in the image of God. And I really feel that those words should echo throughout every Jewish community beyond the Tahara Room, obviously. Can you both speak a little bit more about the Trans-Tahara Project and inclusivity in general at the Community Chaver Kadisha? James, let's start with you.
2: Sure, thank you. That- that article from MFISH is amazing. That's just amazing. So I, I have the honor of serving as one of the co-presidents of the Community Cover Kadisha of Greater Boston. And inclusion is a core value of the, it is inclusion in all ways. So this was an acute need in our community that we saw. The board talked about it for quite a long time. And I believe that when we started this project, we thought that it was a much smaller project. We we created a committee. We wanted to make sure that we had representatives, of course, from the trans community, rabbis of parents of trans families, of trans folks, so I, everyone who could possibly help on this committee. And we thought that we were going to do a survey of what was out there and just present and come up with some answers. But that's not what we found. We, when we did the looking what was out there, we found that it just wasn't sufficient. And so then we had to create a process to To create something new. and And I'm really proud of what we came up with. And the feedback over this past year has just been incredible.
3: Yeah, I think the first couple of months of our process that James and I were shepherding this team of people through was realizing the scope of actually what we had to get done, which I guess is always true of big projects. The first thing we did was we surveyed our members. We had never had forms that asked for people's gender identities. We had forms that assumed that we would be able to tell from people's names. So we went through and found out that we didn't have any active members who were trained, who still lived in Boston, who were trans. And we also at that time found out that most of our members were willing and able and excited is not the right word, but were available to step up to do Tahara for trans folks, that most of our members did feel comfortable with that, regardless of their own gender identity. So we knew that we had work to do on our chevre, as well as figuring out how to serve trans metim, trans folks who have died. And we did that by holding a specific training For trans folks who, of course, if they know anything about Tahara, might know that it's a very gendered binary ritual and may not have felt comfortable showing up to a training unless they're specifically invited. So we held a specific training. We are holding training still ongoing for our members who will participate in Tahara for trans folks. It's a very cyclical Project, it's like hard for me to even know what order to go in. Rabbi Becky Silverstein wrote a survey for trans Jews to talk about their desires for their own tahara's, and almost a hundred people responded, which is a very large number for anyone who's used to working with surveys. And he was able to sort of distill from that the trends. Of course, some of of course a hundred Jews are not going to agree about anything trans or Cis or otherwise, he was able to sort of distill from that the general desires of trans folks so that if we have someone who has died who's trans, who hasn't left us with specific instructions, that we can know sort of what the general gestalt is that we're working within. Some of the quotes from, there's one quote from that survey that really sticks with me that
2: just hits me in the kishkis. There's this one, one person wrote that they would rather... Have a non-Jewish funeral than a tahara in which they were not, their body was
3: not respected.
0: That's incredibly powerful.
3: We also consulted with Rabbi Emily Aviva kapor mater who lives on the West Coast, herself a trans woman, who wrote for us some halachic material about who could serve on teams, for whom, and what materials. Would or wouldn't go with someone into the coffin. Generally, we don't put anything in the coffin with a person, but questions come up: would you put a binder in on a on a transmasculine person before they are buried? She did that work for us and also wrote up a liturgy with non-binary Hebrew suffixes according to the schema of the non-binary Hebrew project, which we are very grateful yes. to. And then with all of that material, we went to Dr. Robbie Goldstein, who's a doctor at MGH at the Transgender Health Clinic, made a video for our members about what trans bodies may look like, which of course in general Trans 101 is understood not to be the business of anyone, but in our really specific context it really is. And now we're back around to the part where we're showing that video to our members so that they're ready to meet these bodies where they're at and understand what you can or usually can't infer from anything that a body looks like. And in the meantime, of course, throughout this, we've been consulting with other chevres from all over the country and throughout Canada about how they can sort of move their communities through this process as well.
1: So shifting to the question that seems to come up on every pod, COVID. James, so many Jewish ritual institutions were affected by the pandemic. Obviously, gathering is our thing. Last year around this time, we spoke to Greater Boston Mikveh and Spiritual Center Mayim Hayim about protocols and adaptations they had instituted during COVID for ritual immersion. I'm curious how the pandemic has changed the Hebra Kadisha's work and whether there were things that you learned amid these adaptations that you want to carry forward, which is something that I've heard several Jewish institutions saying, we learned some stuff that we're going to keep with us even after this thing is, God willing, gone.
2: God willing. The pandemic hit the Hevra in a couple of very specific ways. One, unfortunately, increased demand for our services. On the other hand it prevented us from being able to do our work in the same way safely because we could not have a full team in a room so close together. And at that point, we didn't really understand transmission. And so we could not have them be with the mate unprotected. So we put together a COVID medical team to advise us. With so little known, we had to, of course, prioritize the health of our living Hevra members. And we modified the ritual dramatically. We did one person rituals where we would have only one person in the room at times. We had, there was a point at which the funeral home, where the state actually wouldn't let anyone in the Tahara room. And so we were doing phone rituals where the funeral home would dress the, the mate and we would have someone on phone or video doing the best we could to provide Tahara or some semblance of Tahara to these Mateen. We have since been able to go back into the Tahara room and thank God. And at some point, we hope to do some kind of ritual for all those for whom we weren't able to do a full Tahara. We're not sure what that's going to look like. Unlike many other organizations, I don't think that there are learnings that that come to mind quickly of this is something we want to take. This was a time where we watched so many people pass and were unable to provide them the most basic service that we can provide of helping them transition out of this life. And that we know that happened in hospitals, that people were dying alone. And that, for me, it was just compounded by the fact that they were being buried alone. And that's,
1: it just breaks my heart. I I, I can only imagine the weight of that. As you're, the family, the Havra Kadisha, everyone involved, the weight of this is just overbearing. It's overwhelming to think about, honestly.
2: We do know that there were some Clevra Kadisha in the country, which continued to do the ritual throughout the pandemic. Um, But we did not feel, our medical team did not feel that could be done safely.
3: One of the things that I think about a lot when I am in the Tahara room, which I took with me during the year that we were out of the Tahara room, is the degree to which sort of, it's all okay. It's okay. Like I pictured these folks these many folks who died of covid saying we know you did your best we know you would have been here if you could i think there's a lot of space for innovation in tahara and and flexibility around the ritual and as heartbreaking absolutely heartbreaking as it was to and continues to be to think about the people that we weren't able to do Tahara for. There's no sense in Judaism that like they won't get into heaven or they won't. There's no sense that like this is holding them back from something. And given that, I I do think there's space for grace for ourselves and for them and for the families and for everyone to just sort of pr- practice uh, forgiveness toward ourselves. That is a really beautiful way to look at that
0: Mfish, fish i'm I'm curious to know generally speaking, what is something that you want people to understand about this significant and and highly important mitzvah what is something you'd like people to take away from listening to you today in this conversation?
3: two things spring to mind one is uh, the the quote that you brought from my article about body positivity that The Tahara Room really is a space of body positivity. It's a place where I feel comfortable being a queer, disabled gender nonconforming, fat Jew, where people often tell me like, oh, I was a little bit worried that we only had four people on this team, but then I saw that you were going to be here and I know how strong you are. And so it was okay. That being fat, that being tall, that being short or having only one arm, like none of that is really cause for concern. And it's a very empowering state For me to walk around the world to carry that with me out of the Tahara room and into spaces that are often much less forgiving. The other thing that we talk about a lot amongst ourselves is this balance between Tahara, of course, is about our experience of it as the team members, but it's really mostly about the mate right? It's about the person who has died. It's not about any feeling that I do or don't have while I'm there or that I do or don't feel proud of when I'm not there. It's this funny balance to talk about it because when you talk about it, people's immediate reaction is, wow, that's such a wonderful thing for you to do. And I sort of have an allergy to that, but at the same time, I want to be able to talk about it. I want people to know that tahara is available for them and their family members, and that if they want to join us on the Chevre, they're welcome. So it's it's a bit of a conundrum.
2: I think that's one of the reasons why, when M Fish before was talking about the illegible signatures on the tahara, like we anonymity is so important, like that people not know who did who the tahara for whom. That you know often. They are strangers, and sometimes they are members of our own synagogue community or others. And nobody knows who did Tahara for whom. That's, it's not about recognition. It's about being of service to the community.
0: And in fact, specifically, this mitzvah is one that is, is supposed to be done. There is no reward. That's the whole thing behind it is, it is It's doing a mitzvah with no—there is nothing you expect back or we're supposed to expect back. It is just a mitzvah to help the person who is deceased. And I think that's really powerful. We are there for, you are there for them. James and Emfesh, what would you say to people who are thinking about volunteering and how do people get involved in training to become Khvarim?
3: One thing that I would say to people is come to a training It's not committing to anything. You're just finding out more about the ritual. And honestly, even if I weren't someone who was inclined to participate in Tahara myself, I think it's something that Jews maybe should know more about relative to their own death and to the death of their loved ones to just sort of know what it looks like and know what the liturgy is. You've been to weddings, you've been to funerals, you've been to brises and namings and b'nai mitzvah, and you don't know about this part of the Jewish life cycle, so come on down. That's one part of it. Um, Another thing to know is that I've been on many teams with people who are doing their first tahara, And I've never been with anyone who wasn't able to complete the Tahara or who didn't end it saying, wow, that was so peaceful. I thought it was going to be creepy. I thought it was going to be scary. I thought it was going to be upsetting. But I just feel like this overwhelming sense of love and peace. And I think that if you have any instinct to become part of this ritual, you are probably the person we're looking for.
2: 100% agree. The thing that people are scared of, whatever that thing is, is never the thing that you're going to walk out of the Tahara room worried about. Anyone who wants to be involved in making sure that this is available to our Jewish community can check out our website. It's org. That's H E V R A K A D. I-S-H-A dot org. And there's a way to get involved right on the website. I've done many Tahara. I've never been on a team where, where people weren't there to support each other, to get through the hard part. Some Taharas are harder than others. There's children. There's people who've died violently. There there are harder Taharas. But we don't put you, the first time you do a Tahara is not going to be on a difficult one. We make sure that we support each other and that there's always a a Rosh or Roshah, a leader who is going to move the team through the process and make sure that everyone's taken care of, everyone living and the deceased are taken care of. And there's just no reason uh, not to do it. This is such a central part of the life cycle, and I hope all Jews who want to Check it out. Take just a few minutes and check it out.
0: I will be linking those uh, resources and how to connect with the Chavar Kedisha in the podcast description. I really encourage everybody who is potentially interested to check it out and think about it. It is a beautiful mitzvah and such an important part of the Jewish life cycle. And as you both have said, it's one that deserves more attention and knowledge from everybody in the community. So James and M. Fish, Thank you both for doing this incredibly holy and important work in the community. And thank you for coming on
3: the Vibe of the Tribe to tell us all about it.
2: Thanks for having us.
3: Thank you for uh, giving us a platform to speak about this and give more information to the community. Our pleasure.
0: Thank you to everybody out there for listening. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate and review the Vibe of the Tribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow at Jewish Boston on social media. Take care and be well everybody.